The title of my message today is I Have a Secret. I asked Holy Spirit if I could share my secret, and he said yes. So usually you tell me a secret, and it stays a secret, but this is a secret I'm allowed to share. So um, you can go ahead and open up to Philippians 4.11. That's where we're going to start in the Word, but I want to share, actually, before we get started, a Mother's Day story. And uh, everybody, like Michael said, has been impacted like a mother, by a mother. You couldn't get here if you didn't have a mother. And so some of us are mothers. Some of us have wanted to be mothers and maybe never had that opportunity. There are people who didn't want to be mothers and yet found that the case. There are people who have a good relationship with their mother, a bad relationship with their mother. Maybe you're the bad mother. Maybe you're the good mother. Maybe everybody has an impacting story about a mother. And so I just did want to acknowledge and say happy Mother's Day and read this story for you. One day, a man comes home from work to find total mayhem at home. The kids were outside, still in their pajamas, playing in the mud and muck. There were empty food boxes and wrappers all around. As he proceeded into the house, he found an even bigger mess. Dishes on the counter, dog food on the floor, broken glass under the table, small pile of sand by the back door. He went into the living room. Toys were everywhere. Clothes were everywhere. A lamp had been knocked over. He headed upstairs. He's tripping over toys. He's tripping over mess on the stairs, and he is starting to get concerned. Something happened to my wife. Oh, my goodness, maybe she passed out. Maybe she got sick. Something terrible has happened to my wife. So he went upstairs in the bathroom. The water is overflowing out of the sink, and it's just total mayhem. And he goes into their bedroom and he finds his wife lying in bed, propped up on her pillows with her pajamas on, just reading a book, totally relaxed and at peace. And he said, what happened here today? And she said, you know how you come home from work every day and say, what did you do all day? Well, today I didn't do it. (laughs) So mothers, especially mothers of young kids, you have a rough job. (laughs) especially working mothers of young kids. You have to come home and clean all that up. But mothers, hats off to you, to us. We couldn't be here without mothers. So, But this is not a Mother's Day message. This is a message actually that the Holy Spirit worked in my heart when my kids were small. It, was, it came out of great uh, study and seeking the Lord in this subject. And actually it's on being content. And I'm speaking from a perspective as a mother because that's the phase of life I was in when, when I found these truths. But everybody, I promise, is going to benefit from this. Fathers, sons, daughters, anybody can benefit from this message. But I was a mother when this happened, and it came from that experience. But Philippians 4.11 says, uh, I am not saying this because I am in need. This is the Apostle Paul. For I have learned the secret of being content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And so this is a scripture that Holy Spirit kept bringing back to me, and I want to talk to you today about this secret that the Apostle Paul had learned. I'm being content in every situation. Now, that's not the stir up the crowd kind of message, but it is going to impact our lives in such a way. I have been so blessed just studying this out. It has helped me so much, and that's my prayer that it will help you too. So let me just give you a quick history about where this teaching, where this message came from. 
I obviously have not always been a mother. I love being a mama. It's one of my favorite hats that I wear. But um, to be honest, when I was younger, I didn't want kids. I didn't necessarily see myself getting married. I just always thought I'd live on the beach somewhere, be, you know, have my convertible, have this free and easy, carefree life. <laughs> when I was in high school, my sister always wanted to be a mother. You'd ask her, what do you want to do? She goes, I want to get married and have babies. And that is exactly what she did. But that's not what I wanted to do. And people would call the house and say, is Kelly there? No, she's not here. Okay, well, would you care to babysit? My first question was, does it wear diapers? And they're like, well, you know what? We'll just call someone else, thanks. We want, you know, someone to actually take care of our child while we're out tonight. So it was never a burning desire in my heart to have kids. So I went off to Bible school, single. God stirred so much in my heart of things that he wanted me to do for him, things he gave me a desire to do for him. Came home, single, was happy being single. I mean, you had your moments where, oh, my friends are getting married. Maybe that'd be a cool thing. And then I met Michael. Oh, and then we fell in love. (laughs) And went back to Bible school, more years of Bible school. And then when we moved home, we started having kids. So here I am, have all these things in my heart to do for God. Like, here I am. I have all these things in my heart to do for God. But I had three kids in three years. Can anyone say chaos? (laughs) So I have all these things I want to do for God, and yet real life is staring me right in the face. So I want to teach. I want to minister all these things stirring in my heart that I want to do. And to be honest, I was a little discontent because I wanted this. But this is what I had. And it, the, the two didn't match. <laughs> so that's when I went to studying. I went to the Word. I'm like, what does the Word have to say about this? I got to be really good friends with Joseph. I got to be really good friends with King David. You can learn so many things of the examples that God has shown us in the Word. Amen. So we're going to read real quick today and, and look at this subject real quick. There's three things that I want to look at. Three secrets of how to live content in every situation. And the first key, the first secret, is that we don't want to compare. Right? Comparing, comparison, comparing yourself to someone else, it doesn't bring anything but insecurity and discontentment. So we don't want to compare. And it's really just human nature to compare. I mean, women, how many of you walk in a room and you kind of eye up the other women? Well, I like her jacket. I like her hair. I don't want that jacket. Oh, her shoes are really cool. And somewhere in the back of your mind, you're thinking, those are better than mine. Mine are better. There's always some kind of comparison, whether it's subconscious or not, going on. It's just human nature to compare. We compare houses. We compare children. We compare hairstyles. We compare gifts, the gifts that God has put on the inside. Oh, if I could just do what she does, that would be so much more exciting than the gift that I have. If I could just sing and play the guitar like Pastor Michael, that would be so much more exciting than working with the kids. And we get into this routine of comparing ourselves and coming up short. And guess what that makes you feel? Discontent and insecure. And so in... um, In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul actually addresses this. And he's writing this letter to the Corinthians, and they actually had compared him. Paul's letters to the Corinthians, when he wrote those, those were in response 
for questions and issues that they had already addressed to him. And so he had already had some background on them asking him questions, but they were comparing the Apostle Paul to these other apostles, to these other preachers, to these other ministers that they had around him. And what he said to them was very interesting because he talks about comparison and what it'll do. Let me get there. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. It says, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are unwise. And so I'm going to go to the Word and give you just a couple examples of what um, people who did this in the Old Testament or in the New Testament too. But in John 21, uh, we have an example of Peter comparing himself to John. And this was after Peter had denied Christ. And Jesus came back to him and he pulls him aside and he restores him. And he said, you know, Peter, go feed my sheep. Peter, go feed my sheep. Peter, go feed my sheep. And then he went on to tell him, when you were young, you dressed yourself, you did these things, but when you're older, this is what's going to happen to you. So he's like laying it all out for Peter. This is what I want you to do for me. And what does Peter do? Does he say, yes, Lord, let me just get right on that. No, he turns around and he sees John and he says, yeah, but what about him? (laughs) And Jesus said to him, if I want him to live until I return, what does that matter to you? You go do what I called you to do. And so it's such a trap for us to compare ourselves among ourselves. It doesn't bring anything but insecurity. In Numbers 13, remember Moses sent the 12 spies into the promised land to spy out the land. He sent them on a mission, a reconnaissance mission. I want facts. I want details. Tell me about the people that live there. Tell me about the land that lives there. Is it fertile? Is there crops? Is there good fruit? What are there walls around the cities? What are we looking at conquering here? Bring me some information. So the 12 spies go and spy out the land, and they come back. Bring it fruit. I mean, it says that they brought one cluster of grapes. Two of them had to carry it on, you know, a pole. I mean, these grapes, they had to be this big, huge fruit, land flowing with milk and honey. And 10 of them come back and say, yeah, the land looks good. There's milk, there's honey, there's fruit. There's a lot of good stuff there, but the giants are there. <laughs> there's giants in the land, and, and we look like grasshoppers to them, and we look like grasshoppers to us. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, there's giants in the land, but we are well able to go in and conquer. Let's go. But the ten spies shot them down and instilled so much fear into the hearts of the people that they did not go into the promised land. And because of that, none of that generation except for Joshua and Caleb got to go in. Why? Because they compared themselves. The 10 spies compared themselves to these giants and came up lacking. Joshua and Caleb compared the giants to their God and came out on top, full of faith, full of victory. Do you see the difference? Do you want to be the 10 spies or do you want to be Joshua and Caleb? The Bible says that they that compare themselves among themselves are unwise. And most of the times we compare ourselves to our perception of somebody else. And I heard a minister say, we compare our reality to somebody else's highlight reel, right? 
We see all of our mud, all of our muck, all of our mistakes, all of our weaknesses, all of our shortcomings. And we see all of their glory and all of their goodness and how sweet they are in public. And we see our whole picture and their highlight reel, you know? So we're, we're comparing ourselves not even to reality. It's a perception. I remember my younger sister came to me one time years ago. She was having problems with her husband, and she goes, I, I just, when you and Michael fight, you're probably just even so sweet to each other, and then you probably never yell at each other. <laughs> I'm like, what kind of re- unrealistic world are you living in? <laughs> if you're a couple who has never raised your voice to each other, please stand up. We want to honor you today. Or maybe stone you for lying. We'll pick. <laughs> but she was comparing herself to her perception of what our marriage was like, which was a false perception. I have yelled at my husband. My husband has raised his voice to me, yet we always apologize. We have a very strong marriage now. I know. Can you believe past sweet Pastor Michael who cries that everything has raised his voice to his wife? but it's just reality I mean that's just reality folks we love each other and at the end of the day we both apologize and it's all good but we compare ourselves to a perception and if you think about it that's what happened to Eve in Genesis chapter 3 the serpent comes to her and he says has God really said that if you eat that fruit you're going to die look at that fruit it looks amazing it's good you'll be like God if you eat that fruit. And so Eve's listening to these words, and she starts to see herself as less than. Why? Because she's comparing herself to a perception of something. Because you know what? In reality, if you read in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, she was already like God. Why? Because God created her in his image and in his likeness. But she bought into that lie. She compared herself to a perception of something, she, and what happened to us because of that? She got her husband to eat with her, and the whole human race was done for till Jesus came back. Comparing is caca. Everyone say, comparing is caca. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever speak like an adult again. We still say, do you have to go potty? And uh, That's okay. It's all good. <laughs> so they that compare themselves among themselves are unwise. So a secret To live in content in every situation is don't compare. Say, I will not compare myself to anyone else. But it's okay to compare yourself to what God has said about you. The Bible in Psalms says, how beautiful is your dwelling place, O God. Now, who is God's dwelling place? Raise your hand if you are, you are beautiful. You can compare yourself to that. The Bible says that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You're not some dirty, stinking, unworthy person who can't go into the presence of God. Own that. Compare yourself to that. That's who you are. Amen. Contentment will steal your joy. But if you compare yourself to what the word has to say, you're going to be content in every situation, right? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's okay to compare yourself to that. You are the workmanship of God, created to do good works that God has already ordained for you to do. Compare yourself to that. Don't compare yourself to other people. It will steal your contentment. So the next secret we have 
to living content like Paul in every situation is to value and find value in every season of life. We want to find value in every season of life. And um, I, I shared in the beginning how I didn't want kids, and then I did want kids, but I had all these dreams in my heart. And yet reality was I had three kids in three years and eight years of chaos. So, <laughs> I mean, I was always a praying woman. I was always a studier. So I had my studies going. I had my praying time going. But my heart really wanted to be over here, teaching and giving and doing something. I wanted to do something. And I think God gives us things in the natural as pictures, Right? Fathers are a picture of the Father of God, the fatherhood of God. Marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. And I think he's given us things, especially in this area of the country, the changing of the seasons, to give us a picture of things because we can, can look at them and just glean some information like um, talking about finding value in every season. I'm going to talk about Joseph in a second, but how many of you have a favorite season? I love fall. It is my favorite season. I look forward to fall. I love football. We didn't get the, all the Browns games on our, our TV system this year, and I called and gave them peace of my mind. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I can't. I, the season opener's not on. What are you talking? I love football. I love hoodies. I love jeans and sweatshirts and campfires and s'mores. I love fall. So what happens? In the fall, I love fall. But then by the end of fall, you're starting to think, it's almost Christmas, and it's going to snow, and I love the first snow, and you get your hot chocolate when it first snows, and you sit there and you watch it fall out the window, and just can't wait for winter to get here because this rain and this chilly rain has got to go. Fall, Christmas, that's where it's at. Winter, that is where it's at. Let's get this snow. I want my kids playing in the snow. Let's go make some snowmen. But then what happens about February? I can't stand shoveling the snow anymore. Let's just get rid of the snow. Can't it just be spring already? I know it rains a lot, but it'll be warmer, and at least I don't have to shovel that stuff. But then spring comes, and you're like, oh, this rain. And I have to mow the lawn three times a week. And Oh, summer. Summer is awesome because the kids are out of school. Let's just get to the warm temperatures, and let's get to the swimming, and let's not have any homework. I think I like summer break more than my kids. That homework gets me every year. (laughs) But in summer, what do you do? Oh my goodness, it's so hot. My house won't cool off. Where is fall? Right? And we just do that. And I think sometimes in, in our lives, we do that with every season. Oh, I can't wait to get married. And now I can't wait to have kids. And now I can't wait for my kids to get out of the house. Not me personally. Not me personally. <laughs> You're doing this, looking forward to every season. And that's where I was as a mother. I had my kids at home, and I was devaluing what God was having me do in them because I valued more what I wanted to do for him. And yet if you look and find the value in every season, there is value in every season. The spring rains get the grounds ready to receive the seed. And then the warm temperatures and the sunshine in the summer causes the seed to grow. And then in the fall, you get to harvest and eat all that delicious food. I mean, who doesn't like corn on the cob and fresh tomatoes and fresh cucumbers and making fresh salsa and 
all the stuff that comes along with harvest season. And then in the winter when the leaves fall and the snow blankets everything and it dies and it rests to get ready to rejuvenate that life again. There's a purpose for every season. And if you look in the Bible at Joseph, Joseph and I are like this now. We have been best buds for a long time. He had a raw deal. Talk about trying to find contentment in every situation. His brothers threw him into a pit to kill him. I mean, that's not very fun. How do you find contentment there? But good thing they were greedy because they saw these slave traders coming and they thought, well, let's dig him out of the pit and sell him. We'll at least get some money for the guy. So they sold him. He gets sold to a man in Egypt named Potiphar. Now, lucky for Joseph, he got sold to Potiphar. Potiphar was one of the who's who of Egypt. He was kind of one of Pharaoh's right-hand guys. He was like this with Pharaoh, one of the who's who. So that when Joseph got lied on and got thrown into prison, he got thrown into Pharaoh's prison. If he hadn't been bought by Potiphar, if he had just been bought by a regular old Joe, he would not have gone into Pharaoh's prison. That would have been a different prison. And Pharaoh's prison was not a Martha Stewart kind of a prison. It was a dungeon kind of a prison. A dark season for Joseph. It was, I'm not sure they even had windows. It was underground. It was rat infested. It was moldy and dank and prison. And then after he had been in prison for some time, these two guys from Pharaoh's house come in. They have dreams, interpret their dreams. And that's where you get to start seeing a picture of Joseph's heart. Because if Joseph had been bitter about some things, bitter about what his brothers did, bitter about the dreams, bitter about the way his life had turned out, when somebody approached him about dreams, he would have said, run, run away. Dreams stink. You don't want to have dreams. They hurt you. But he goes, oh, no, 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 no. Tell me your dreams. God will interpret them. And he did. And the butler, you know, got released. And the baker got whacked. And the butler was getting ready to go. And he said, please, please remember me to Pharaoh. I am not in here as anything that I did wrong. My brother sold me into slavery. I got bought as a slave. His wife lied about me. And now I'm in prison. Get me out of here, please. But the butler did not do it, and the Bible says that two years later, two years later, still in prison, there's value in every season. Pharaoh had a dream, and the butler went, "Uh, duh, you know, I forgot to tell you, but there's this guy in prison. Remember when you threw us in prison? Don't think about it too hard. I don't want to go back there. But remember, I was in there. And... uh, So Joseph got called out. He interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. You know, it was all good from there. He got promoted to second in charge of the whole land from prison to White House in 24 hours. Imagine that. (laughs) But if you think about it, what would have happened if Joseph had been released from prison, if the butler had gone to Pharaoh and said, dude, this guy has a bum rap. Can you please pardon him? And Pharaoh had allowed him to leave. Joseph would have high-tailed it out of Egypt and missed the whole plan of God. There is value in even the seasons that seem so yucky, in the seasons that you don't want to be in. There's value in them. When my kids were little, when I wanted to be doing something, 
and I felt like I wasn't doing anything, if I hadn't invested all that time into studying, all that time into prayer, I am busier now than I was when they were babies. I don't know. It's a foundation. He had me laying that foundation, and it's enabling me to do what I'm doing now because I did it back then. You don't want to discount the season that you're in. You don't want to discount and devalue even the little things. The Apostle Paul wrote, what, three-quarters of the New Testament? Do you think he knew he was writing the New Testament? He wrote letters. The Holy Spirit would bring something to his heart or somebody would ask him questions, and he wrote letters to the churches. They were just letters. They were canonized later. He was being obedient in the little things. I mean, how many letters do we not write and send? How many texts do we not send because we don't want to bother somebody or whatever? He was doing the little things. He did not devalue the little things. And those little things have impacted history. We have those letters today because he was obedient to write them then. And he didn't devalue that little thing that the Lord asked him to do in writing a letter. Amen? So we want to find value in every season. And the last secret that I have of of living content in every situation is found in Philippians 3. Actually, go to Psalm, you can put Psalm 17 up first. We have to trust the one who holds our future in his hands. That when it doesn't look like we want it to look, we have to trust that he knows what he's doing and that eventually you're going to end up at your dream. You can live content in every season of your life when you know that he is going to bring it around. That's why spring always turns into summer. There's never any doubt. There's some hesitation of when it's going to happen. Like when it snowed on April 28th, I was like, really? (laughs) So there's always a little hesitation of when that season changes, but the seasons are always going to change, right? So we have to trust the one that holds our future. But our third secret is just found in him. When you make God your dream, when you make God your purpose, you're going to be content no matter what happens. I mean, the Apostle Paul wrote these. He wrote Philippians 3 that we're going to turn to in a minute. He wrote Philippians 4 at the end of his life. These these epistles were written at the end of his life. He was in his first imprisonment. When he was released, he was only out two and a half, maybe three years before he was martyred. End of his life. I have learned the secret of being content. And he had some things that he had to learn through. In 2 Corinthians 11, you don't have to throw it up there, but he said, I have been in prison more frequently and been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own people, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea. He was in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger 
and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked, and besides everything else, I face daily the concern and the pressures of the churches. And yet at the end of this passage, his secret was, my grace is sufficient for you. His secret was him. And I came across this scripture. This is Psalm 17, 15. It's in the Amplified, so yours is going to sound a little different. It says, as for me, I will continue beholding your face in righteousness. I shall be fully satisfied when I awake to find myself beholding your form and having sweet communion with you. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is writing to the church. Verse 7, he said, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And later on, he goes on and he says, My determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may be found in him as having a righteousness not of my own. And he goes on and he says, not that I have already attained this. Attained what? His purpose. And what was his purpose? To see how many missionary journeys he could go on, to see what he could do for God. His his determined purpose was that I may know you. This was the end of his life. The end. And he's saying, not that I have already attained this, but I press on for this. I want to know him. I want to be found in him. He is our purpose. And when we make him our dream, instead of making our dream our God, we're going to live content in every situation. We're going to say, okay, I trust you. This isn't where I want to be. But Lord, show me the value in this season. Help me find value in this season. I have one more scripture to read. This is Jesus talking in Matthew 11. It's in the Message Bible. It says, Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say, this is a unique father-son operation coming out of the father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line to anyone willing to listen. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. When you make him your purpose, and you get away with him daily, you're going to be content in every situation, whether you have little, whether you have much. You won't want for anything. There might be things that you want, but you'll be content. Isn't that a better way to live? Amen. Amen.